Welcome to an inspirational message recorded live at Little Falls Christian Center. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we gather in your holy presence, Lord, these words are so profound and so prophetic because it says, Oh, come on, my soul, don't get shy on me. And Lord, fill us with boldness in this hour in which we are living in, that the kingdom of God may come and that your will be done. We all pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we all agree and we say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much, Ben. They can play this song probably three, four times in a row and you won't get tired of it. But it's wonderful to see so many people. And there's truly, I believe, a move of God to bring the people back into the house of God. You know, we are seven days past the 21-day fast. And I couldn't help but thinking, where are you right now in your walk with God? How many of you have gone back into the old habits? Or how many of you are still standing strong? Because we say it is the year of the word here in this church. And for those who are listening via the live stream, welcome to you as well. You are family. You are part of the kingdom of God. And I ask the same question to you as well. Where are you? in your walk with God right now? Where are you concerning what God teaches in His Word? Because God says, and this is what we will be doing this year, and this is what I will try to do this morning by the leading of God's Holy Spirit, to show you things in the Word of God that are necessary in the time that we are living in. Because our Lord Jesus Christ spoke 2,000 years ago concerning things in the Word of God that is relevant for the hour that we are in. And if we do not apply this to our own lives, we will suffer, and we will suffer a many and a lot. So, God's Word says that the entrance of God's Word gives light, and it brings understanding to the simple. Be a student of God. Always be teachable. Because God would then also says in that same uh, chapter in uh, Psalm 130, now verse 105 says this, that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It deliberately speaks that we're living in the hour of darkness, because if it was light, we wouldn't need the word of light. But this is not the text that I want to read from this morning. This morning, I am going to read from the book of Matthew chapter 5. And you may turn there so long if you'd like. And I want to give some context and some background here. Because many of you have read this, or probably the first part or parts of it, from the book of Matthew. Now, the whole, and in terms of context, the whole chapter 5, 6, and 7 pertains to the Sermon on the Mount. It is the longest discourse in the Word of God where our Lord Jesus speaks. And He speaks chapter 5, 6, and 7. And there's so much in this, in this particular chapter, well, in these three chapters, that it's hard to just cover what I want to cover this morning. But God's Spirit will always speak to you and move you by virtue of God's Word. So we're going to read from verse 21. But in terms of the context that I want to give, our Lord Jesus Christ is sitting on the Mount at Beatitudes. Now, we have many years ago prior to that, thousands of years prior to that, the lawgiver gave the law on Mount Sinai. And I want you to picture this for one moment. Just be still and quiet and picture this for one moment. 
the lawgiver is now sitting there in front of all these multitudes and he is speaking. When he opens his mouth, they are mesmerized by the words that come from his mouth. This is God personified in human stature appearing before them and he speaks like never spoken before. And they listen to him. And for those three chapters, however long that took, they are quiet and they are silent. Now, for those of you who've been to Israel, I've been fortunate enough to be there as well. I know where that place is, the site of the Mount of Beatitudes, and what a beautiful place it is. You've got the Sea of Galilee there in the background. Beautiful, beautiful place. But that day, it is silent. Because when the Messiah speaks, everybody pays attention. And they listen to what he has to say. Hence, the title of today's sermon, which he said, But I say to you, many people have said many things, and you've got to understand the context here. Jesus Christ, our Lord, speaks now, and he talks about the things that were said of old. The things that were taught by the church at the time. And he quotes what the church has said at the time. The Pharisees and the scribes. And he's addressing it by saying, but I say to you. And in the hour that we are living in, we've got to be very careful of what we're hearing. Doctrinal teaching has to be spot on because God has only given the church as the voice to speak to the people in the world out there. And you have to discern what the truth is because sadly so, there are many lies and false things being preached from a platform that is not of God. Man has elevated himself ahead of who God is, and God will not stand for that. This platform is God's and God's alone. How long have this been said from this platform during the Holy Spirit Fire Conference? Often, Pastor Harold would say this, don't look at me. Don't look at me. The same power and authority that's in him is in you because God has empowered you. And you've got to take your eyes off the man and keep it on the man who says, but I say to you, amen. amen. Now a little bit more context here as well. Verse 1 to 12, we all know in Matthew 5, that refers or pertains to the Beatitudes. Now it comes from the Latin word, which is blessed. But in the English language, we can manipulate this because where the first 12 verses pertains to it is the attitude of how to be. This is your be attitude. Verse 21 to 48, then we talk about the do attitudes. Christ first establishes the heart and the character. And now we're going to look at what he says we must do. If the character and the heart is not right, we will not be able to do what he says we must do. And there are six things, just six things that he covers in this from 21 to 48. And you will notice in every single one of them, he uses this, but it is said of old. In other words, what has been said? Pay careful attention to what Jesus says here. He doesn't say it is written, because what is written is written. We cannot add one yod or tittle to this. We cannot take anything away from this, because what is written is written. But he says, it has been said of old. And then every single time he would reply and he would say, but I say to you, the law has been fulfilled now because Jesus, just before that, our Lord, a few verses before that says that we ought not to look at the righteousness 
of the Pharisees and the scribes. In other words, he says, don't look at the righteousness of the, 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 the leaders in the church. In today's terms, don't look at the righteousness of the pastors, the preachers, and the teachers. Jesus was about to correct that in saying, the law, you have heard it, but I'm telling you now, I'm saying to you, listen to these things. These six things said 2,000 years ago is relevant today, and unless we do these things, we will not walk in the liberty and the freedom that God has for us. All right, so this is just the context and the background to all of this, and I want to just finish off this just in terms of when our Lord Jesus is speaking there on the Mount of Beatitudes in this utmost holy silence and presence of our Lord. And it is, it is highlighted and it is summarized in the very last two verses of Matthew 7 when the conclusion comes on the, ser on the sermon, sermon of the Mount. Listen to what the Word of God says. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Any church leader today who speaks on any platform, if there is no authority in them through Christ Jesus, then don't listen to them. Because unless you preach Jesus Christ and what this word says, and we say, but Jesus say this unto us, unless we stay with that, we are headed for trouble. What am I saying, child of God? Pay attention to what the Lord is saying in the hour, and you will find it in His Word. All right, so we go to verse 21, and I'm just going to, I'm not going to read everything from verse 21 for 48, so relax, relax. We're not going to read all those. If we had to do that, I would ask certain people to read certain verses. But we are going to capture some of these verses pertaining to the six points, and then we'll listen what our Lord Jesus said about this. So in verse 21, our Lord Jesus says this, You have heard it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, because who murders shall be in danger of judgment. But now it comes. What does our Lord Jesus say? But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother will cause, without cause, is in danger of the judgment. Immediately, our Lord Jesus starts with the sixth, sixth commandment. And there are six things that he is saying. And I'm sure you are getting what I'm, getting, what I'm aiming for here. God is speaking to mankind. The number six refers to mankind. The sixth commandment said, Thou shalt not murder. But our Lord Jesus says now, Let's go to the root. You shall not be angry. Because anger allows you to be living in unforgiveness. And out of unforgiveness comes the spirit of hatred. And it's hatred that causes people to murder. Jesus goes to the root of this. And it is not by coincidence that two things he addresses here. Number one, the first sin committed in the Bible outside of the Garden of Eden was murder. And not just any murder. Two brothers go and the one murders the other. You can see our Lord Jesus was already speaking here about his forthcoming persecution because he, being a Jew, was murdered by his brothers being a Jew. He addresses murder here because he also makes it very clear to all of us. What does the word say about Satan? John 10, 10, and all of you know it by now, and say after me, the devil, what is he? He has come to kill and steal and to destroy. Our Lord Jesus immediately 
gets into what the problem is here. He teaches us, be wary because there is an enemy out there who wants to kill you. And you may say, okay, there's murder, but how does it relate to the world today? Because today, murder, yes, here and there. Let me tell you how murder is, is camouflaged in the hour that we are living in. There are leaders in this world who believe that they have the power to make decisions and they send sons and daughters to the war zones and they murder them because they want their views and their stances to be motivated and want those things to be fulfilled. They themselves would not go, neither would they send their own children. There are people who go out and they want to martyr themselves for certain beliefs or certain things that they stand for. They lay down their own life. Listen, child of God, one already laid down his life. That is enough and that is sufficient. You don't have to die because he already died for you. God says, I give you life and life in abundance. You have no right to take your life. No, we cannot even support the notion of suicide because God is the giver of life. This is why we also always say, come, let us sit together and talk and see what the Word of God says because no human being is going to get you out of your desperate state. Only God's Holy Spirit will highlight the root of that evil so that you may be set free. They go and they murder many, many, many children through abortions. These are all the camouflaged ways of murdering the world, which I'm proving to you that 2,000 years ago, Jesus himself spoke of this, and this is happening right in front of our eyes. People are murdering themselves nowadays by virtue of all the things that you get up into, the things that you allow into your body and doing to your body, the drugs that you take, the alcohol that you take, the cigarettes that you smoke, all these things are busy murdering yourself. And all these things are happening right in front of us. Our Lord Jesus knew of this, so when He spoke about it 2,000 years ago, it is relevant for the hour that we are living in. You've got, you've got to understand this. And when you do this, listen to what our Lord Jesus says. If you don't deal with anger, He says here, you are in danger of judgment and hellfire. In the first point that He mentions here, He mentions death, He refers to the devil itself, and He talks about hell. Hell is something few people want to talk about. And today I'm not going to do that, but I want to give you a, 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 a frightening statistic concerning churches. Less than 10% of churches in this world preach about these four topics. Heaven, hell, salvation, and repentance. What is 90% of this world of its churches then preaching if they exclude this? Here is a thought, and I'll close off this particular point with this, concerning hell. Try to comprehend this notion concerning hell. In that place, there is not an inkling of proof of the existence of God. Nothing of God is in that place. There is no hope. There is no desire to pray. God is absent in hell. Can you imagine a life to live without God? That is what is destined for those who do not come to salvation. The next verse, verse 27. You heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. Once again, what does our Lord Jesus say? But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in her heart. God now immediately addresses the seventh commandment. And who does he speak to? To the men. To all of you. Because he's saying, if you lust after a woman with your eyes, you have already committed adultery. Why is he speaking to the men? 
because he has placed you to be the head of that house. It is your responsibility to take care of the head of your house. You do not allow another woman to come into your house when you look at her. Jesus even says, don't look at another woman because even there you would lust after her. He addresses the men because he makes very clear here how it was told in the days of old. The scribes and the Pharisees were very lenient to the men who committed adultery. But to the woman, they were extremely harsh. Do I say so? Let's just go to God's word. You remember the case where this woman who committed adultery was brought before Jesus there in the, in the synagogue? And they said, what must we do? Because the law says she must be stoned. Where was the man who committed the adultery? You see how ambiguous these laws were and why Jesus came in. He said, but I say to you, why is God so, so heavy on this? Because it concerns covenant. Marriage concerns covenant. And the devil hates covenant because when we enter into covenant with God, all of God's blessings, all of his provision, all of his love, all of him, he brings to that covenant. And the devil hates that because he can't stand against that. When you walk and you honor the covenant, the devil can't destroy that covenant. So Jesus is speaking here to every man and saying, you must honor that covenant because the responsibility lies in you. And listen, listen men, you are married. Your wife is your helpmate. She's not your self-mate. You can't have everything for yourself. It's not all about you. You want your wife to submit to you? Teach her how to submit by the way that you walk in honor before God because the way that you take up your role in Christ is going to make her job so much easier when she walks in submission. And by the way, walking in submission and being the head of the house, there's no inferiority or superiority in roles. They are equal, just as man and woman have been created equal. Whoever lets go of their responsibility tips the scales to an imbalance because now you make it difficult on your spouse to not only do her part, but to carry you whilst you are doing a lot of wrong things and nonsense. So you are responsible for that. But listen, wives, men, I've got, to, I've, I've got to stand in the gap here for you as well. Wives, you are not excluded here. Woman, listen to me. You are too your men's, your man, your husband's helpmate. You are not his tellmate. You are not there to go and tell him what to do and what not to do. Tell him this and tell him that and tell every single thing that you hear. That's not your role. Help him because he needs help. And men, ask for help because you are going to need help. That is why God said he made you a helpmate. Because both of you together fight the enemy so much better. And you stand in the covenant in which you are in. And now our Lord Jesus, he doesn't stop here. The next point we read in Matthew 5, verses 31, he says here, furthermore, it has been said. So what does our Lord now do here? He doesn't leave the topic of, 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 of covenant, of marriage. He now says, furthermore, so in addition, he says, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And isn't this world today doing exactly this? You can divorce almost for anything and there will be a certificate of divorce. We call it a decree of divorce. But what does Jesus say? But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason other than sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. Listen, men, if you want to issue a decree of divorce, God says it's on you. You are causing your wife to stumble. You being the head of the house are 
right here being taken to task because God says the responsibility lies with you. I've given it to you because you are the head of the house. And Jesus here is speaking very, very feverishly and, 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 and with the fire of God, especially to the scribes and the Pharisees because they were present there on, the, on, on, on this mount because they were the ones who gave decrees of divorce left, right, and center. A wife at the time could only divorce her husband if there was proof of sexual immorality. But men were issued decrees of divorce. And Jesus addressed once again this whole thing about covenant. And he shows them how they have ill-treated the covenant that they have with God. Listen to me today. Here are some frightening statistics to, for, for you in this day. Before I get to that, you know what the world's agenda is. The world's agenda is for us to not be married they don't want us to enter into covenant with God. They say, go and enjoy all the benefits of marriage. Go and live together. Have children if you want to. Do what you want to do. Don't get yourself caught up in marriage because there's so much legal framework and there's so much cost involved when you get divorced in the end. Just live together. Have children. Sleep together. Fornicate. Because you know what? Everybody's doing this. And Satan's whole plan is to totally remove marriage. And let me prove this to you. In South Africa, you know that divorces are on the decline? And you may almost think, I'm gonna praise God for this. Let me tell you why divorces are on the decline in our nation. Because marriages are on the decline. Fewer and fewer people are getting married because they do not understand what covenant is and they do not want to enter into this. They want the benefit of marriage, but they don't want to enter into that covenant. Let me tell you and make it abundantly clear to you, God does not sanction that. There's no blessing upon that relationship. You cannot ask God to bless you in your finances, in your, in, in your relationship, even in your children. If you do not honor the covenant, you are dishonoring God. That has never changed and it will never change because God's word will stand 2,000 years even more after this, if it so be, because it is what it is. Because Jesus said, but I say to you, what does Jesus say about marriage? That is why he's so protective over marriage. That's why you and I have to guard over us. Listen, listen, parents, to me. There's a generation that has been tried to be totally wiped out of the planet because of you and me. We have not taken up our roles as parents the way that we ought to be. What have we done? We have given our children over to be taught and educated by the governments of this world, by the schools of this world, by the universities, and in some places even by the churches. It is your responsibility to raise your children. God gave your children to you, and you've got a blueprint to follow because it says in this word, it says, raise up your children in the way of the Lord, and when they are older, they shall do what? They will not depart from it. It is your responsibility to raise them, no one else's. And we must claim our children back for the kingdom of God. You must set them up for success. You must speak life over them, where they are right now, over their future partners, over their jobs that they will have in the future, over the positions that they will have, over their health. Yes, let's give God a praise offering for our children. Amen. Amen. Now we get to the next one. Yes, brother or sister. It sounds like it's coming from this. There's anointing in all this place, don't worry, everywhere. The anointing is everywhere, and we praise God for that. Amen, amen. Verse 33, again you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. 
But I say to you, says Jesus, do not swear at all, not by the heavens, not by the earth, not by the city of Jerusalem. What is God saying here? Stop making oaths because it is made cheap. What the Pharisees were teaching in, in, in those days were, you can make an oath, you can make a vow, but it has got no legitimacy and there is no seriousness to it unless you make it before the Lord. So what do they do now? Men and women make oaths and starting to, to give validity to it, you bring God into the, to the equation. You say, but by the Lord. And here our Lord Jesus speaks about the third commandment. There is no fear of the Lord in this world. Very little out there because the name of God is being abused. He says there, he says, we shall not use the name of the Lord in vain. If we just look at these first four things that we have discussed, murder, adultery, divorce, and using the name of the Lord in vain, you can see that all over in this world, this is thrown in our face. I am shocked when I see children's programs on TV. Kiddies programs, you would think from the age of five to probably 12, I look at what they show and, how, and what image they portray in, in, in those series. I'm, talking about, I'm not even talking about other movies because all movies, all books, the things that you listen on the news, the things that you hear, you would find at least two of these four things. The name of God is so being abused and we have been conditioned to this. Listen, you've got to understand the ways how the enemy works. How does Satan work with this? He doesn't come and shock you with these things, a once of here and a once of there. He floods us with this. We see it in the movies. We hear it on TV, people talking about it. And they will say, oh my, and you know what I'm saying here, what I'm referring to. The name of God is being so abused and we have been bombarded with it. What do we do in the end? We become so irritated, we leave it and we just walk away from it. The world has accepted this as a norm, and it is all over. Murder is in almost every single movie that you can think of. Using the, the, the name of the Lord in vain is everywhere. Everywhere. You listen to, to people's conversation, and they use the name of God in vain everywhere. What are we to do? Jesus spoke of this 2,000 years ago. We are living in that time. It is just so much proof how close the coming of our Lord Jesus is because God will not let this go on forever. His name is still the name above every other name. Why do you think when Jesus said, this is the way that you should pray in Matthew 6, he says, our Father which in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let your name be kept holy. That's what it means. Let the name of God be kept holy. You and I are responsible to do that. And we teach our children, our friends, our circles of influence how to respect the name of God. God has left it unto us to do it. And believe me, the authority that you have to impact people are far greater than what you can comprehend. The next point I want to mention, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, says Jesus, not to resist an evil person. Turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, give your cloak when they ask for the tunic, and then he goes on and gives reasons as to why we should not withhold. You know, this law was brought in to exercise fairness. In the old days, in the days of old, this was to protect the person. So if somebody was going to harm you or do evil towards you, then the law protected you in saying, I can get retribution. How you harm me, I can get equal payback. So if you, if you kill my ox or my sheep, I can get likewise back from you. 
but mankind became so evil that today it is used as a matter of revenge. How many of you have heard these words? Oh, I'll get you. Oh, you will get a piece of my mind. We say these things because we don't want to get back to the person in equal stature. We want to do worse because they've harmed me and I will harm them more. This is what the world teaches us. We've got to get back at them because you have been done in, you know. You have got to fight back for what is yours. But Jesus here silenced this whole argument and he says this. He says, vengeance is mine and mine alone. This is what our God teaches. Jesus himself never retaliated. He only tolerated because he loved us irrespective of this. And it brings us to the last point because whereas the first point that he addresses is murder, now he's getting to love. And he says here, verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Let me just clarify this. This is not found in scripture. This was a Pharisaic um, law that was exercised. But right after this, our Lord Jesus says this, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless them who curse you, do good to those who hate you. How many of you had to walk the road concerning this when the enemy hurt you through people, through friends, through family? How many of you had to deal with it? I had to deal with this not so long ago, a few years ago, a serious matter concerning forgiveness. You know, it's easy to speak forgiveness. It's easy to say that you forgive. But man, oh man, I'm telling you, the walk of forgiveness is a different walk. For nine months, I had to every single day repent of the evil thoughts that I have towards those who have harmed me, two people. And every single day I would repent and I would feel better. But then you know, the enemy comes and he plants those thoughts again. Look at what they've done to you. Look at what they're saying. And you know what, what was frustrating for me? I could not retaliate. I had no means to retaliate. They had all the cards that they could play. And I felt like I was continuously here behind the nine ball the whole time. And then every single day, I had to go back and repent. In the end of it all, God vindicated me. And I don't want to tell you what happened to those two people, but I tell you, I feel really sorry for them. I, I, never, I never wished that upon them. That God knows. But from the moment that that offense came, when the enemy hurt me, God told me this. I thought I would get some compassion from God. And God said, you will go on your knees and you will pray for them. Because you know, this is what I came to understand. Who is praying for them? Who is praying for the people who are deemed as your enemies? Who is praying for them? God brings them upon your path so that you can learn to pray for them. This is the purpose of all of this. You know, this, this whole idea that was promoted here was called the law of separation. The Jews believed that they were the superior race. And everybody else, like the Gentiles, were deemed as the inferior race. That is why they called them enemies. And that's why they said, hate your enemies. Jesus comes and he addresses this. And it's a, it's a great crime of the hour that we are living in because it is called the law of discrimination. Our God hates any form of discrimination. He killed that law literally by nailing it to the cross. God doesn't differentiate. He doesn't care how you look, how old you are, where you come from, whatever your tradition is, what color you are, what your gender is. You are all equal in the eyes of God because He made you after His image and likeness. That you must know. He hates it when we talk about discrimination. In fact, He goes and He silences all those all those lawgivers, he goes to the house of Zacchaeus. 
a tax collector, criminal and evil in the eyes of the Pharisees. He goes and he calls Matthew, Levi, to become a disciple. He goes to his house with all the tax collectors with him. And the Pharisees would sit there and they would say, woe unto you, look at what you're doing. You are in the presence of sinners. And Jesus will say to them, does a doctor heal those who are healthy? He's come for those who are injured and who are sick. Listen, I ask, don't clap hands because I'm gonna give you a challenge here. Answer me this. If Jesus would come to your house today and say, can I have your house? Because I want to have sinners in your house and I want to pray for them. I want to take the scum of the earth and I want to bring them into your house. Will you open your house for God or is your house so clean and so neat and so tidy, such a sanctuary to you that you would not even allow the Lord to come and heal and to come and bring the scum of the street and of the earth to come and do that work? Because listen, you've got to understand this. The kingdom of God never grew in a building like this. It grew in a house to a house and we have to get that. If the church is going to grow, it is from house to house. How open is your house that the Lord may come and do what He wants to do in your house? It is a challenge I lay before you because I lay it before myself. My house used to be a sanctuary to me. It used to be. And then God pointed out to me, your house became an idol to you. And God dealt with me concerning that one. I'm very grateful that I have a house, that I've got a roof over my head. But let me tell you, when I walk into that house today, there's someone there before me. And he lives there. And he lives there permanently. Because me and my house make sure that God stays in that house. It's his place. We do what he says. We surrender to what he wants us to do. Because my house, I cannot claim. I have perhaps my name on the title deed. But I'll tell you what, I'm a child of God. And God supersedes that. My house is not mine. God is my house. This is the house of God. And God says, my house shall be called the house of prayer. So if you have a house, is your house called a house of prayer? I close off with this. Adam never asked Eve's opinion. And yet she gave it. <laughs> Eve never asked the serpent's opinion. And yet he gave it. Adam and Eve never asked God's opinion, and God never gave it. If we ask God's opinion, it is found in here, because, but I say to you, go and do the things that this word does, and you will live in prosperity. And I close off with verse 48, because verse 48 says this, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That word perfect is the Greek word teleos. And it is the same word that our Lord Jesus used on the cross when he said, Father, it is finished. It is complete. Christ is completed in you if you take these six things and you live by them in this day because then you will reflect Christ to the world out there. And then God will use you for his kingdom because he sees Christ in you. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand if I give the Lord a praise offering and let's give him a proper praise offering because he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Amen. They say time flies when you're having fun and it's so much fun to see you and to be with you and to see how this word find its entrance into your spirit. Go then and be Christ to the world today. Let's raise our hands to the heavens. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of sharing your word, coming to know what your word says. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you taught us what you said 
2,000 years ago is still relevant and powerful in the hour that we are in. Make us a blessing, therefore, Father, as we go out so that we may glorify you. So may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of us wherever we go. And Father, bring us back safely tonight to hear further instruction and teaching in your word. And we just say that we love you, Father, and thank you that you've loved us first. We all agree this and we say, Amen. For more teachings like this and other material, please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com.